Welcome to the Rise of the Challenge podcast. Join me today. He's a former professional athlete, professional actor, and voice actor, and stuntman. It's Laith Walschlager. How are you doing today, Laith? I'm doing great, my man. Can't complain. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We're excited to learn more about your Rise to the Challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning, talk about where you're from, and what were you involved in growing up? Sure. Uh, I am originally from the D.C. area in Alexandria, Virginia, a small little uh, suburb right outside of the city. And for most of my life, I was involved in sports. That was my first love. I had a very athletic family and a very competitive family. So I guess those, uh, those influences kind of really set in. Was there a lot of expectations for you with sports? Like you had to be at the top tier or top skill level or anything? Um, no, uh, I, I wouldn't say pressure. You know, I, I never, I never got, uh, my parents never forced me to do anything. Um, they always supported me in whatever I wanted to do. However, my cousin, uh, he played in the NFL for the Cardinals and for the Packers. So there was always a desire to kind of rise to his level, I guess. You know, he, he was my mentor growing up and he coached me a lot. So I always strive to, to be where he got. What were those sports that you fell in love with? Um, honestly, I really enjoyed playing basketball and I, um, when I was, when I was uh, in middle school, I think seventh grade, I did not make the team. Um, and I had to freaking work my butt off to just have a chance. And eventually I started varsity as a sophomore in high school, which was pretty big. Uh, in DC, we have a lot of talent in, in basketball, the DMV. So I played against schools like Montrose Christian, where Kevin Durant went to high school. And, you know, they'd have seven foot three dudes on the bench, not even playing. That just shows you how stacked they were. So, uh, yeah, it was pretty competitive. Um, but I never, uh, I never really backed down from a challenge. Uh, you know, I had, a, I had a coach in football who – told me that I should just stick to playing defense because that's what I was good at and, you know, kind of stay away from tight end stuff. And I ended up going first team all state as a tight end my senior year of high school. So I don't really listen to the, uh, to the nose, you know what I mean? <laughs> Do you think when you didn't make that team, kids at that age should use that as motivation to not let it stop them, but continue on and work and get better each day. Absolutely, man. You know, and athletics teaches you so many life lessons. That's why I encourage every kid to get involved with some kind of team sport, just because it, it teaches you so much about the real world. And, you know, if I, if I had taken that hit if you will, and just gotten discouraged, I would have just quit. And then, you know, I would have lost out on something that I truly ended up enjoying a lot. And that really helped grow me as a person. So yeah, man, I mean, in life, if you don't go through life without being told no, at least once, um, 
you're a pretty freaking amazing person. <laughs> you know, I think we all get told no uh, at some point. So if you can hear that first no, take it on the chin and just get up and keep going forward, man, that's, that's what life's all about, in my opinion. I think that's always a conversation that people have nowadays where a lot of times you see on the internet nowadays, kids are always given everything and they never have to really work for it. And when I was growing up, I was told no, or you had to work for something. And I think that just builds you better as a person and the characteristics as you get older and you realize when you look back, it was worth working that hard for something that you wanted to go for. Yeah, I, I found in my life that anything that's come into me, that's come to me easily, or that I didn't really have to work that hard to earn, it's not, it, you don't have as good of a feeling about it. You know, when you pour your blood, sweat and tears into something, and you can look at yourself at the end of the day in the mirror and know that you have, that you couldn't give anything more and you actually accomplished what you set out to do, man, that is the best feeling. But, you know, a lot of, a lot of these things with the participation trophies, it's, it's a handout, man. I mean, you know, you join these, <laughs> you join these, uh, you know, these youth league teams and you pay to be on the team. And essentially the costs are going up because now you're paying for participation trophies. You know, it's like, you want to earn those things, you know, there, not everybody can win the event. That's just not how it works. Just like every NBA team can't be an NBA champion at the year. You know what I mean? It's just not how life works. So if you train people to think that way at a young age, they, they're not going to want to fight and go through the obstacles that they have to, to get to where they want to go. As you were growing up, did you ever have anyone that motivated you or in, were inspired by? Um, yeah, man. Uh, like I said earlier, my cousin, uh, he's a WWE superstar currently. His name is Mojo Raleigh. Awesome. He's the hype man, gets everyone going. <laughs> he never runs out of energy, but he's someone that I always looked up to because uh, <clears throat> he went to a Division three school transferred to a division one football team as a walk-on earned a scholarship was brought into the green bay packers as a you know as a as a practice guy found a way to make it into the preseason and you know just worked his butt off and that is how i have structured my life i've never been um i guess you would say just naturally gifted I've always had to work for what I've earned. And honestly, I wouldn't have it any other way. Was there any kind of advice that he gave you at a younger age that you always use today, like a quote that he used or something? Not, not, so, not so much of a quote, just more of behavior, just the hard work mentality. I mean, in high school, I remember summers where I would get up, I would get my, my lift in, in the morning. Then I would do tight end training. Then I would take a break, come back and do defensive line training with my cousin. And then after that, I would join in, in the after, late afternoons and nights with my high school basketball team. We had a summer league. So, I mean, it was just work, work, work. 
And that's what it takes if you want to be great, man. I, you know, you, you think about guys like Tiger Woods, uh, you know, Kobe Bryant, where they freaking work, work out all season. And then at the end of the season, when they didn't get their de- desired results, they'd be right back in the gym, right at it. So, I mean, that's just, that's how I live my life now. And it hasn't changed. Although I'm not playing sports anymore, I'm involved in entertainment. I'm working like 14 hour days, 16 hour days. And if you want to work in entertainment, you have to be able to do that because that's what it's like on set. So I want to work myself to the point where I can get on set and cruise, man. I'm like, what? this is my regular day. It's no, it's nothing different, you know? And that's just, I try to, I, I compare my life to uh, batters with a batting donut. I like to put on the batting donut so that the bat's a little heavier while I practice. And then when it's time to go and do the thing, you know, you take the weight off and the bat's a lot lighter when you swing it. Would you say growing up that sports were the main focus and doing this, taking the sacrifices of maybe a social life or a child life was worth it in the end run? Yes, I feel like I had a good balance of both. Um, because I didn't play, I didn't really do a spring sport. You know, I had football in the fall, basketball in the winter. And then in the spring, I did a little bit of track, but I wasn't really serious about it, you know, and it was more to just kind of like goof off with my friends. So I, I, I did find that balance, but as you kind of move through the ranks and you go through college football, you know, it becomes more of a job because of the larger time commitment and obviously in the NFL it it consumes your life really so um but in the earlier stages I I did find a good balance you know and and that's that's what you need really when you're growing up because otherwise you're just going to get burned out as you're getting closer to college what was that dream job was it always going to be sports or did you always find a passion in a different area well I you know, like I said earlier, I watched the path that my cousin took. So the ultimate goal was always to make it to the NFL. So that's what kept me working hard. You know, a lot of people, when they get to college, they got a full scholarship. They're like, okay, hey, I'm on the team. I'm good to go. And they kind of step off the gas a little bit. But I was always working towards a greater goal because as a Division One AA player, it's harder to make it, you know, you're not as well respected and, you know, you got to work 10 times as hard as the next guy who went to Alabama, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, So that work ethic never left me, I guess. It almost sounds like you were always trying to prove to someone that you were worth it or that you had the capability to go for that dream that you wanted. Yeah, I was always overlooked. I was overlooked early on because I went to a small school. We weren't that good at football. I was undersized, you know, and there were, there was always just doubts. So I always had to outwork the competition and show why I belong here. I love the whole, it kind of goes back to being the underdog in a way. And I always kind of viewed myself as the underdog. Like I don't look like the most athletic person, but I always called myself a wild card because when I get onto that field, you don't know what to expect. And everyone's jaws are dropping like, oh, we should have picked him. Yeah, because everyone likes <laughs> to based off of first appearances. And 
I think also age plays in a factor with even the real world. I have people that are double my age in the industry I am in, but I'm doing things that they should have been doing at my age. And it's kind of a great feeling that you can't always underestimate people and people are going to show you that they're going to come out of nowhere. And I love hearing that you're using that underdog kind of status as a way to motivate you. And I think a lot of people are doing that nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, absolutely. I, um, I like it. It gets me going more. Like I, I I wouldn't want to be praised and and lifted up and you know every chance i get i try and humble myself i i use a lot of self-deprecating humor i'm always making fun of myself you know so you just got you know you got to keep yourself in check and and don't let your head get above where your ability is that's that's the problem me i like to stay a little below where my ability is i i say often i would rather undersell and over deliver you know that's just how I work but but yeah man you know uh people will always look at you physically you know for example they might look at me and say okay you know he's just a football player he's probably an idiot you know where where in reality I have a master's degree in finance (laughs) you know I so people are always going to profile it's just the nature of life and I will continue to prove them wrong as will you you're breaking the stereotype and that's an amazing thing because a lot of times football players don't have an MBA and no. <laughs> showing people that we can do anything even if we are a football player. Exactly. <laughs> no matter how many brain cells we damage along the way. <laughs> so what college kind of picked your mind in a way or you were looking at and where did you end up going? Yeah, so uh, during the recruiting process, um, I really, my, my sophomore year, I was kind of dealing with a, uh, or no, excuse me, that was my junior year. My junior year, I was kind of dealing with a little bit of a, a back injury or something like that. Might have been my sophomore year, I can't really remember. Um, but at one point, I was told that I, I wouldn't play football again. And that was a really tough pill to swallow. Um, At one point, I was put in a plastic back brace with a metal attachment going down the leg that connected to like a leg harness. And I would kind of walk around school like Frankenstein. (laughs) I had to wear that for a few months, actually. And eventually, my back did heal up. And I continued to play. Junior year was was a much better year for me. Um, But the recruiting process didn't really get going until the fall of my senior year. I was having a really good year, making a lot of plays. And I garnered the interest from uh, a lot of Ivy League schools, um, as well as CAA schools like Delaware. Richmond was taking a look at me. I got an offer from Villanova as well. So that's kind of when uh, things started to pick up and I took a few visits. I, I visited Villanova or excuse me, I visited UPenn and I also, I took a little visit to Villanova as well and I visited Delaware and it's just, you know, it's all about the, it, it's about the school really, you know, football is, you really take a look at it. You play four years, right? And 
there's no guarantees. You could get hurt. You know, there's a myriad of things that can happen in your football career. So when you look at a school, man, you gotta, you gotta decide, is it a fun school? Do you enjoy being there? Does it have the things you want to study? What's the environment like? You know, what's the student body like? Could you see yourself living there for four years? Because college is such an integral part of making you into the person you will become you know they're they're extremely formative years and if you're not in a good environment I, I can't talk to how many I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that have transferred out you know you miss out on opportunities I was lucky enough to be at a school where I came in with a freshman class and I grew with that freshman class over the next four years. And that's something you can't replace. And when you're moving around schools, it's hard to make new friends. It's, it's just not the same, you know what I mean? So at Delaware, they took really good care of me. It was an awesome, fun campus. There was always stuff going on. It was a uh, it was a college town. So it was a closer community. You know, you're not in the middle of a big city where the school just kind of, kind of blends in with the surrounding environment, you know, like this is our place. And there was a lot of pride in Delaware in the school. So I really, I really dug that a lot, man. And if I had to choose again, I'd go back there. Were you ever worried that maybe the school that you picked wasn't one of those schools that NFL scouts were looking at because you know how it's always Alabama LSU all those top schools but maybe sure. it wasn't the school that was getting looked at a lot um I wasn't worried about that because well first of all I mostly just wanted to make sure I had a full scholarship and my finances were taken care of. And that's what steered me away from UPenn because with the Ivy League schools, they only offer financial aid, right? So, and that can change on a year to year basis. So I wanted to make sure my family was locked in. We didn't have to worry about anything. And we've had some big names come out of the University of Delaware. We had, um, <clears throat> we had Joe Flacco, he won a Super Bowl with the Ravens. We had Rich Gannon. He won a Super Bowl with the Raiders. We've had, I've played with so many dudes in the course of four years that have made it onto NFL teams, been drafted, been on practice squads, been in the preseason. So Delaware is one of the most successful D1AA schools. So I wasn't really worried about it. You know, I figured I'd have a shot. What was the biggest challenge for you during your college career? It could be injuries. personal or professional. It was injuries, hands down. I, I only played one year injury-free, really. Wow. And that was my redshirt freshman year. And I missed, I, <laughs> I missed the first game because of an injury. Uh, but other than that, it was all smooth sailing. Um, my sophomore year, my redshirt sophomore year, I played with a torn labrum and a torn up ankle that I had to wear a solid ankle brace that did not allow for any lateral movement, which is extremely difficult for a defensive end trying to round a corner, you know? Um, junior year, I tore my ACL and, and meniscus five games into the season which ruined my junior year. I was having a really good year then. 
And then my senior year, I was shooting for a medical red shirt to take the full year to, you know, just get my strength back. Because when, when you, when you tear your ACL and then meniscus and then re tear your meniscus in rehab, um, that just, it elongates the healing process. So to be honest with you, once I found out that I wasn't going to get a medical red shirt, it was probably five games into the season of my senior year and I or five or six and I played the last six games, 70% strength, you know, just, just to get out there, dude. So if I, if I hadn't had to deal with any injuries, because also you think about training Anytime you get a big injury, it's like you press the reset button and you got to start all over again and build back up from nothing. So, you know, if I hadn't had to do that, <laughs> I think we would have a much different conversation right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you talked about you were in a back brace your junior year, I guess. I yeah, like, I was doomed from the beginning. <laughs> piece of item have you not had, basically? <laughs> I know, right? So... In college, I had a total of four surgeries. I had my labrum done, I had my ankle done, I had my knee done twice. And at one point I was in a sling and I was on a scooter for my ankle. And we had just made a coaching staff change and the new D coordinator came in and was like, geez, dude, it looked like you fell out of an airplane. What happened to you, man? So it was rough. Can't tell you how many times I wiped out on that damn scooter. probably just needed an electric one or like one that had like a cage around you so you couldn't fall off or anything <laughs> yeah like like a bubble boy yeah <laughs> that's what I needed with each injury was there ever doubt like I should just stop playing football because I don't want to risk it or get another injury that could make me even more hurt oh man um no I never thought that way actually believe it or not I, I never did. I was always like, okay, you know, we'll take the slump and we'll get right back at it. I just, that's, that's an interesting question. I never once thought that way, actually, because I mean, I've seen guys get really, really bad injuries. And what I dealt with was nothing you couldn't come back from. It was just a multitude of, mm-hmm. of setbacks, but never an ultimate I, I guess except for high school, but I was like, nah, fuck you. <laughs> I ain't taking that. <laughs> well, I guess you can compare it to your cousin's industry that he's in right now with the WWE where people get mm. injured and sometimes it's so serious that they just, their career basically ends. So they're right. always worried what could happen next. But when you're going through each of those injuries, after you hit that reset button, was that all we kind of talked about earlier, was there always that mindset that I still had something to prove or I still wanted to get to where I wanted to be in my dream? Yeah, the ultimate goal was the NFL. So I wasn't, I was just worried about, okay, put my, get back on the field and put myself in the best opportunity, get, give myself the best chance to reach my goal. And Dude, I had a lot stacked against me. I mean, coming from a small school and playing in, I think I played in a total of 
24 to 28 games my whole college career out of, and I played five years. I was there for five years. So I missed a lot of games and, you know, that's, it's difficult. It's very difficult, especially coming from a small school, man. It's just, you know, <laughs> you're really fighting an uphill battle. <laughs> You know what I mean? What was the major? And were you always coming up with a plan B at any time? Well, yeah. So the way I structured my college curriculum, um, and I, you know, I have to give credit to my cousin because he always helped me develop this plan from the beginning. He, uh, he said, you're going to go there for five years. You're going to redshirt. I, I was offered to play my freshman year but I chose to redshirt because that was the smartest plan for me. I'd rather take a full year to, you know, work on my strength and conditioning and get to the size, the appropriate size I needed to be for a D lineman because I was very light. And, you know, I always planned to get my undergrad and then roll right into grad school, which I did. I got my master's degree my fifth year there and I knocked it out in a year. Wow. Yeah. So I want, basically I wanted to make sure the school paid for it and I didn't have to pay for it out of my pocket. So, you know, you just try and get the most bang out of your buck. If I'm killing myself on the field and not going to have working body parts, you're going to pay for my school. <laughs> what would you say looking back at your whole career or college career in this instant, what's the biggest thing you learned about yourself? Oh man, the biggest thing I learned about myself. Okay. Um, oh man, that's a very good question. Uh, the big, one of the biggest things I learned is that, and, and this is a problem for a lot of athletes. When you play a sport, it defines your life. It's like, yeah, I'm a, I, I play football. I'm a football player. Yeah, I'm, I'm on campus. I'm seen as a football player. I'm wearing all the gear. It's, it becomes your identity. And because of the hardcore team concepts involved in especially football, just because it takes so much teamwork in order to achieve that goal of winning, um, you lose your individuality and you're not giving the opportunity to explore yourself because <clears throat> you're, you're working, you're putting all of your effort, time and energy towards the team's goal. And due to our schedules in college football, I didn't have time to go explore you know, all, all of the opportunities that were afforded to a regular student, like all of the organizations, all of the, the, the fun stuff going on on campus. Like, man, we had a full class schedule and then we're at practice until 6, 7 p.m. And then we got to go do college homework, man. Like, it's a lot. There's not a lot of time, not a lot of free time. So, I. Uh, I guess the biggest thing I, I learned about myself was trying to discover who I was, which without having the athletic component be a part of that description, which was a little foreign to me.
you no, know? I think that's a great thing because a lot of kids nowadays in college, they think that they only have to do one thing. And I can use my example. I joined a fraternity and when you get that title, you're a frat person. And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. that's not who I am as a person. I do all this other stuff. I volunteer. I do charity work. I do sports classes as I was a sports management major. And I was trying to find who I am and had to remember that you're Alex. You got to continue being you. Because when you leave this campus, you're not going to be known to anyone. You're going to have to show people who you are as a person. And I think a lot of times when I was with athletes in classes, you, they wouldn't do much be, or they didn't have much free time to do projects because they go to class, they go to, they do homework, they go to practice, they have to travel for a game. So it's one of those that a lot of people can relate to that and they're going through that same struggle right now. And I think it's great that you're able to be open about that and tell people to maybe look at that opportunity to find something for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, ab- dude, absolutely, man. Like, don't let any one thing define you because humans are very complex and there's a lot of different sides, a lot of different emotions, and we'll never be just one thing at one time, you know? And you gotta, you gotta explore these deeper levels and figure out who you are and what you're passionate about because you know, you cannot play sports forever. I don't care how good you are. You just can't do it forever. You know what I mean? And that's why you see NFL guys eventually after their careers, they end up working at Target. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they haven't found, you know, another skill that they have to offer the world. It literally can take one season, like a bad season, and then you're career is basically over or an injury and you're like what do I do next so talk about when you're getting close to graduation were you getting any offers or were anybody looking at you to play professional football so I graduated my senior year my fourth year I always knew I was coming back for a fifth year Um, so I was I was going into grad school so I hadn't reached it yet and then you know, obviously because of injuries going into my fifth year, I was like, you know, it's a toss up. I, I have no idea. I had been on some, you know, some draft boards and, and some scouts is, you know, I don't know, just on the periphery, I guess. And I just figured, hey, do what I can this, you know, with the games I have left, play as good as I can, try and get some get some good tape off of it, and then really do my best going into pro day and see if I can land somewhere. And, um, you know, I had a decent pro day, uh, and I picked up interest from the Eagles. They wanted to bring me in, and also the uh, the Cardinals as well. We, my defensive coordinator, Nick Rapone, when I was playing at Delaware, he has a good friend uh, named Bruce Arians, and he was the head coach of the Cardinals at the time. So I think he had a little something to do with it, and he convinced them to bring me in. And uh, yeah, that, that's what gave me the opportunity. When you got that opportunity to, with the Cardinals, did you kind of feel that you accomplished your goal? Um. 
I was, well, obviously, okay. So any, any kid coming out of college shooting for the NFL, you're going to be watching the draft, right? You know, and I knew there was no shot I'd ever get drafted just because it just wasn't going to happen, you know? Um, but I was hoping for just like what happened to my cousin, he went through the draft and as soon as it was over, he got the phone call. So I was like, all right, let's see if we get some phone calls. You know, you're just hoping and praying just for a shot, you know, cause that's all you can ask for. And luckily a call came through and it was the Cardinals first and then the Eagles called second. But the way it works is rookie mini camp. There's two weeks of it. Half the teams in the first week, half the teams in the second week. And unfortunately both the Eagles and the Cardinals were the first team were the first week. So I had to make a decision and I'm like, all right, uh, I got an inside man with the Cardinals. So I'm thinking that's where I want to go. So that's where I ended up going. And it was nice. I got a, got a first class flight in. Very wonderful. Never, never flown first class before. <laughs> You're like a celebrity basically. Being <laughs> yeah. Right. For a college kid. That's awesome. So talk about that experience. What was it like? What were you going through mentally? And what was the experience like for you to, to be a part of that team? Um, so going into it mentally is kind of like, um, have you ever seen the movie 300? Yes. It's like going into war with the uh, Persians. You're going in, there's one way out, and it, you like there is no holding back, right? So I came in there ready to freaking go. I was locked in. I don't care who you were. If you were a first-round draft pick or a bum they found on the street. I was going to beat the ever-loving crap out of you on the field. And I was, my plan was to use my biggest strengths, my work ethic and my brain. I learned all of the positions on the D-line. I, I was able to make checks and make calls and get people lined up where they needed to be. I knew everything because when you get there in one weekend, you have to learn that much of the playbook, right? So it's a lot. Um, so I was going to use that to my advantage. Also, I was a D lineman, like 285, 90 pounds. I was going to pursue my ass off. So if the running back ran a toss play to the opposite side, I was running 50 yards down the field to finish the play because not a lot of other people are going to do that. And, you know, if you're going to take a chance on me, obviously I'm probably not going to be the number one starter on the roster, but you want a guy who's going to work your, your team and who's going to, you know, bring that energy, get everybody going and just be the workhorse. So that's kind of the role that I was looking to fill. And that's how I approached it, and I executed. Would you say that you made a good impression to eventually be able to kind of be on that final team? Yeah, so that's what, um, that's what my uh, defensive coordinator was telling me. He was like, man, Laith, everybody's impressed with you. 
everybody's, you know, really uh, taking a notice to your style of play and they're liking what they see. So I, I was getting good feedback and, you know, which is why I went there in the first place. So I could know what, what the hell was going on because coaches don't, don't tell you, you know, they kind of, they're like poker players. They keep it close to the chest. Or they you know? lie. I mean, they will just tell you something and maybe. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if you're in the film room and they're correcting you, that means they like you. If they don't say shit to you, you got a problem. You got a problem. So did the Cardinals ever extend a contract to you or was it just like a one-year thing and it was done? Well, so I did preseason or I did the rookie mini camp with them. And um, basically, and this is how it works in the NFL. It came down to a numbers thing. I, I got cut at the end of rookie mini camp and my coach came up to me and he's like late. Um, and we're talking about a, a guy, an old Italian man in his sixties that does not fuck around. So I knew he, he'd always shoot me straight. Right. And he's like, you know, late, uh, I was sitting in all the meetings. They freaking loved you. <clears throat> they, they had nothing but good things to say about you. I thought they were going to sign you, but at the end of the day, it came down to numbers and they just had, too many D linemen already on their roster. And, you know, after conversations with my agent, I, I went into that NFL season that year as the number one uh, D lineman on their short list in case anyone got injured. However, no one got injured. And because of my, because of my senior season, I didn't have the tape nor the stats to be able to pitch myself to other teams and also, I couldn't get the footage from the rookie minicamp because I was in there beating the crap out of first round draft picks, man. And if I had that tape, you know, I could have been like, hey, this is what I do. I can play at this level. But unfortunately, I did not have those resources. So eventually, the 2014 season came and went, or, or maybe 2015, and I didn't get any calls. So... I, you know, whenever, <laughs> this is how it goes in life. Whenever you get no's, you got to pivot, man. And so I transitioned into the arena football league. And I figured maybe if I do well there and I get some solid tape, I can have another shot back in and, you know, we'll see how it goes. So that's kind of the route I took. Did you kind of have that still that same mentality where I'm going to go full force, tackle people like crazy, but in a different setting. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, okay, you know, you got to get back in. So get some tape on yourself, get some good, you know, some good stuff going. And because people get picked up from the AFL all the time, it is rare, but you know, you're not going to get noticed sitting at home. So you got to do something. So that's what I did. Would you say it was worth the experience going into the Arena Football League? I mean, from a fan's perspective, it's entertaining, I will say. Yeah. But for a player who your goal was to play for the NFL, but you're still getting that opportunity to play football, but in a different capacity. Yeah. So, like, honestly, the way I looked at it was, uh, okay, I just played in the NFL. I just played with some of the best people and, you know, I did pretty well. Uh, let me go to the arena football league, do my thing. And then I'll be right back. 
But what you forget to uh, take into account is that it's, it's a different game. It's a completely different game, especially the upfront play uh, with the offensive line and defensive line. It's just, it's fast. It's just, it's different. And it was hard. And you're also going up against all these guys they used to play in the NFL at one point. So the, the skill level, it's pretty good. You know what I mean? So you're not going up against, uh, you know, like D3 guys. You know, these are, these are solid talent. I, I went up against former first-round draft picks, you know, uh, former All-Americans who were really good. So the competition was there, man. And uh, I, I learned that really quickly. <laughs> After playing in the arena football league, do you kind of know that maybe your time with football was coming to an end? Um, yes, I, well, the, the arena football league, uh, it had quite a bit of issues, which is why they are no longer around anymore, <laughs> you know? And after the season I played, I was one of two rookies to make it to on the Jacksonville Sharks arena football team that year. We had a really good team, a lot of veterans. And after that season, uh, nobody knew if we, if the AFL was going to come back or not. And the Jacksonville Sharks transitioned to the uh, NAL, I believe the national arena league. So it, it was a totally different thing. I wasn't really on the team anymore. Um, and they had a draft because they had some new teams come into the AFL. And so they were taking some of the old teams that left and they were drafting their players. And I got drafted to the Washington Valor, which was actually pretty cool because I'm from DC and I still had family there. So I was like, okay, great. You know, we'll give it a shot. And, um, you know, there was, uh, there were, there was a dude on the team. He was playing wide receiver and he's in his forties and he's in, he's an arena. Like he's one of the best to ever play the game. But at the end of the day, it's like, I had, I had to have this kind of come to Jesus with myself. It's like, all right, am I going? Cause mind you arena football, it does not pay the best <laughs> at all. So I'm thinking to myself, dude, you're in here killing yourself for a sliver of a chance at a shot to maybe uh, get on a team. Because what's the, what's the best odds? You get picked up by an NFL team during the offseason. You go through training camp and you still have to fight to even make the team and it's just you know you look at it from a mathematical standpoint is the juice worth the squeeze I've had four surgeries in college I'm beating my head in against 360 pounders on a daily basis I'm a smart guy is this what I should be doing with my life so I guess you know, that thing you, that question you asked me earlier, it came into play right there. And I decided, you know what? I think it's time to do something else.
And also it, um, it wasn't really fun for me anymore. I wasn't having fun with it. It was, it was just like, you know, why am I doing this? What's the point? You know? So I think at that point, usually if you're thinking that, like, is it worth getting up every day to go do something? Is it fun? That passion there and you're not saying no, that's usually a lot of times people are making those decisions where mm -hmm. they're looking for that next opportunity because you just don't want to feel like it's a struggle each day to get up and you don't want to do something that you don't enjoy. So what was that next decision for you? Well, before I go to that, you know, it, it was kind of interesting because I remember going through preseason with the Valor and um, <laughs> I, I did it differently than I did anything else. I was, I was going out on the weekends on my off days. I was having fun with my friends because they were all living in DC, you know, friends from my childhood. So I was going out and partying and I wasn't taking it very seriously. And honestly, at one point I got cut and they were like, yeah, you know, you did a great job early on in camp. And then you kind of started to slip off a little bit. And so it's not quite the consistency we were looking for. And at that point, I really didn't want to be on the team. So I was glad that I got cut because I couldn't quit. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I don't know why, but I, I couldn't quit. I needed to be cut. And I kind of made them cut me. And eventually, it, but when they did it, they were like, you know, we'll probably be giving you a call later in the season if we have any injuries or anything like that. And I'm like, yeah, sure, no problem. I was like, hey, thanks for having me. Take care. <laughs> and I was out. And then eventually I did get a call later on uh, and they wanted me to come back. And I, you know, I told them, hey, man, thank you, but I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm not coming back. So at that point, um, I, uh, I don't, I, I think I felt free and I felt liberated. And, um, I always had this plan in college. It was, uh, I'm going to shoot for the NFL. I think I had like three backup plans or something like that. I'll shoot for the NFL. If that doesn't work out, I'll do something in finance. If that doesn't work out, I'll, I'll try voice acting. And, um, at that point in my career, my other cousin, Casey, he was working full-time at a bank, Wells Fargo. And I saw what that life was. And I did not want to go down that way, man. I am just, I'm not built to be a nine to fiver. So I skipped my plan B and I went to plan C and I decided to try voice acting. And I just gave it a go. Did you ever have any training beforehand? Or was it like, well, I got to find a way to practice or train to be able to get jobs in that? <laughs> my life was my practice. I had, I had done voices all of my life. I've always tried to impersonate people on TV. Me and my best friend, Adam, he's just as good as voices as I am. And we would just go back and forth. You know, <laughs> I remember as a kid, we would, uh, <laughs> we would see in the middle of the night, these Maxiderm commercials on TV. It was like penis enlargement. <laughs> so 
So we would get on the phone and we would prank call these people and do different character voices, just messing with the customer service people. <laughs> and, you know, we would always imitate, uh, you know, Crocodile Dundee and all these characters on TV and just, uh, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And we were, uh, it, it, just, it was just a natural gift, really. And I was like, you know what, I really like to do this. Maybe I can make money off of this. You know, maybe this could be my job. So what I did was I took, um, I took what little money I had <laughs> and I paid for a training. Um, let's see, I, 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 I paid for this, this training program called Such a Voice where they, I, I got with a coach online and they taught me the ins and outs of voiceover, character voiceover and all this stuff. And I was like, okay, you know, I have some natural skills, but let me work on the craft a little bit and the technique. And then from there, I started doing $5 gigs on Fiverr. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever been on that site. Yes. Yeah. I, to this day, I, um, I have done over 500 Fiverr gigs. Yeah, from $5 a pop, and now I pay my rent with it. Yeah. It's crazy how Fiverr has come out, of, not like it came out of nowhere, but it came such a huge thing because people don't want to go to these big companies that you have to pay so much to get a voiceover done. But you can go to individuals and get instant access to work for them, and especially yeah. those independent contractors where you can put a price out there and show examples and be able to make, make a living, obviously like you're doing. Yeah. And um, you know, I've, it's a great way to, to network with people. I've met so many production companies on there. I've met education companies where I've had the opportunity to do big deals for them and that have led to actually great paying work. So, you know, I never, I never try and get too big for my britches and I always remember where I came from and I don't care how small a gig is because I've done $30 gigs that <clears throat> make me look like I'm doing $20,000 projects. Wow. You know, I do, I've done spec ads for Mercedes Benz that, that make me look like I'm awesome and really entertainment is all about faking it till you make it. You know, that's why you'll get into Q and A's with a lot of these celebrities and they still have imposter syndrome, you know? Because it's, we're all just trying here, you know? Nobody has any answers, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I have to ask, because you just brought up a great segue, to fake it till you make it. During your entertainment industry days, you went on a show called Worst Cooks in America. <laughs> Yeah. The question now is, are you that bad of a cook or are you just acting for the show? Because this is going to change everyone's viewpoint of the show because I've seen every season and when yeah. I see you on LinkedIn, I'm like, there's no way. And then <laughs> what you're doing, I'm like, this is going to ruin the show for me. And my family was like, you have to ask him. I'm like, okay, perfect segue for it. 
That is totally fair. Um, I remember my audition tape for that show. It was 20 minutes long. And I was, I'm not going to lie. I was doing some wild shit. I did, I did my Nana's famous recipe of chicken and dumplings. And at one point it called for a bay leaf to go into the recipe. So I, I was living in Tampa Bay at the time. So I was like, you know, whipping out all the accents. And I was like, you know, okay, great. It calls for a, for a bay leaf. Check it out. We'll go right outside and grab one right off the tree. You know, and, and I took a leaf and put it in the pot. I got my foam roller and was rolling out the dough. I lit something on fire. So I pulled out all the stops for the, for the audition. But in reality, yeah, I suck at cooking, man. And, and let me tell you something. After the show, it's all great and everything. Because when you're on the show, you got a fully stocked kitchen. You got all these pans, all these pots, everything's at your disposal, you know, seasoning out the yin yang. When you get back to your home kitchen, you don't have any of those cool things. So it's like, all right, well, uh, I can't really cook like that anymore. And I took detailed notes on my little pad and they were supposed to mail that to me and they never did. So all of my recipes that I found out, which were really awesome stuff, I don't have, I don't have the, uh, you know, the ingredients anymore, so I can't make it. So it's back to chicken and veggies, bro. <laughs> I yeah. mean, you can always just pull up the Food Network and just rewatch your season. <laughs> yeah, true, what true. The coach, coaches were saying the whole entire time, but I, it was just so crazy. The amount, like, you watch the first episode of those seasons, you're like, there's no way. I mean, it's obviously believable that you guys could be that bad, but some of the things you guys were doing on there, I'm like, let me, let me tell you. Okay. So when we got on the show, I was trying, I was really trying hard. Like uh, during the interviews, I, I would joke around and, you know, I, I'd, I'd mess around a lot, but when it was time to go, like you're competing for money, man. So, and the time is serious you don't have time to mess around so i was freaking locked in and my the other people i was competing with whatever they did they they were trying like nobody was nobody was thrown in the towel because you'd be cut you'd be cut quick and people were i mean i was i was in the bottom two almost every week <laughs> and it wasn't on purpose would you say going on that show was a great experience for you because it was also a way to get your name out there but also personally you're able to learn something that you couldn't do at first oh yeah man i would do that hands down again i mean you are learning how to cook from the best one of some of the best cooks in the world and the food that they would make us on the demos. Oh my gosh, it's some of the best food I've ever eaten in my life. Um, so, you know, they took care of everything. They put us in a hotel. Everything was good to go. All you had to do was show up. And on our off days, we did fun activities. And it was awesome, man. I'd do it, I'd do it again easily. It was so much fun. Man, I just, it's just amazing that, I mean, that show, you, you just watch it with your family. You just get a good laugh. And you're like, 
they, oh yeah i hope they get better at cooking but you never know i mean they bring people back and they're like yeah i don't remember anything and it's like last season that they were just on like, well they tried what would you say is a memorable role that you have done like you talked about the different voice acting but from being on camera what has been a memorable role for you um hmm. let's see so i'm still very early on in my career and i have not done that much stuff that uh that I've really enjoyed, you know, that, that has been a dream role. You know, you kind of got to play to your typecast when you first start out. But I, uh, I did an episode on the James Corden show where I was like a tough, you know, a tough guy, one of the suspects. And, and it was just, it was just really fun to get to see. It was an episode with James Corden and Aaron Paul was there as well as, uh, another another celebrity I, I can't remember his name but it was just really cool to see those guys work live in front of a live audience and you know just kind of feel the energy on set in I, what was it CBS studios yeah I I got my uh my first time on the CBS lot so you know you're walking through the halls and they have all these framed pictures of the countless awesome shows that CBS has put together over the years. So it was just, it was just a really cool experience. And, you know, I, I've been on so many big time sets because I do a lot of football stunt work, but um, you know, to be acting in that arena, it, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. Um, but in terms of theatrical work, I'm still very early on in my career and I haven't yet found that 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 dream role yet, but I'll get there. I mean, just by the short time we've been talking, you're gonna get there. I mean, your mental mind is gonna be like, you're gonna push yourself to get to that spot you want. I'm trying, you know, eventually the opportunity is gonna come and you just gotta make sure that you're ready for it when it does come, you know? Eventually, the, your name's going to get called, and you better have the skills. Otherwise, it's going to somebody else. <laughs> when you're looking at the career you're in right now, do you have any regrets, or are you happy on where you're going right now? Because you could be in a different area right now. Or have you ever thought, maybe do I follow in one cousin's footstep in a different industry? It's still in athletics, but in that area or do I follow the other cousin that's in that finance world mm. happy that you're doing what you love doing well let me tell you something man when you're <laughs> when you're so when I started off doing the five dollar fiber gigs when I was living with my cousin who the the wrestler I told you about and when you're broke um anything seems like a better route <laughs> you know what I mean but uh I never, like for me, I, I have to do something that I'm passionate about. I knew that if I went down the road of business and finance, it would suck the life out of me. So I would rather be broke doing what I love than making money and being a slave to someone else's cause. You know what I mean? So that's the way I've always approached it. 
And now I'm at the point in my career where I can support myself financially and be as creative and passionate as I want to be. So I get the best of both worlds. And honestly, the best thing about this industry is no one day is the same, man. I like I, my schedule changes on a day to day basis and I have no idea what's to come. You don't know what's going to drop in. You don't know whether you're going to get a call that could change your life. You know, it just, one yes can change your life in this industry and it's exciting you know yeah i think you bring up a great point where i think it kind of goes back to what we talked about with finding those passions and finding your identity in a way and during this whole pandemic time i was working and then on furlough and i always was trying to find what what could i do for myself and this show came out of nowhere and I think it's been the best experience. I do my job. I enjoy that. I still do that. But I get to talk to so many great people that I never thought I would. I mean, I've interviewed people that I idolized and looked up to. And I'm thinking, I'm just some random person from Missouri. And look at everyone I'm talking to. And so, like, when you were saying, yes, like, I would love to, it's like, I've done something right. But that just gets me going every day. And as much as it almost feels like a full-time job doing these interviews, it's so worth it. Like, I don't oh, yeah. anything. Something yeah. I want to talk about on your social media, and I think it's very inspiring. You have done a huge fitness transformation and you've shown <laughs> pictures from before. And I kind of think I know where the photos probably came from because you talked about you went out a lot and that was maybe where those photos were coming from. But a lot of people are using this as a time for fitness transformation now, but you definitely have gone through that fitness transformation. Was it always something that you wanted to go through or being out there for, from a former professional athlete, it was like, I want to get in shape because maybe there is that chance I could go back to something. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So uh, with, <laughs> with me, when I was at the university of Delaware, I had to eat and a lot, a lot of those pictures come from when I was at Delaware because I played defensive tackle. And if you don't have a certain amount of weight to keep you protected, you're getting tossed out of there. So when I was playing, I was about 290 pounds. And when I first got there, I was a real big boy. And I used to go to the dining hall and would eat 10 plates at a time yeah and then i would come back for late night dining and eat even more and i remember at one point i had eaten a mountain of, of dining hall food which of course you know we always used to say that they put laxatives in the food because as soon as you get back to the dorm it would just be all food is horrible yeah you know you know oh, yeah <laughs> so one day I was walking out after a, a 10 plate excursion and I threw up because I had eaten so much. And <laughs> I remember being in the bushes, I wiped my mouth off and I took a deep breath and I walked my ass right back into the dining hall to eat some more. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, it was rough. It was rough. But um, 
you know, as I got older, I started to, to eat a little bit better, put on some solid muscle mass and, you know, become a fully well-rounded athlete. And then once I started to transition out of, out of athletics, it's like, okay, I'm not bashing my head against 400 pounders anymore. It's not really necessary for me to carry on this weight. And believe it or not, natural, naturally, I'm a thin guy. My sophomore year, I was 185 pounds wow. of high school. So um, it takes a lot of work for me to keep on the weight, a lot of eating. So after I transitioned out of football, I just stopped eating as much. And I just exercised. And instead of pushing 600 pounds of weight, you know, you just do high volume stuff. And a lot of the cardio I did, uh, I didn't run because I took such a beating during football. I didn't want more stress on my joints. I just did incline walking. And eventually, you know, you stay with it and it starts to go down and down. And now I sit at about 250 pounds. I have abs, which are nice to see <laughs> some, some days, <laughs> you know, and uh, yeah, it just kind of worked out that way for me. And I know a lot of guys when they get out of sports, you know, they go one or two ways <laughs> and it's usually the, the smaller skill positions that blow up. And then the big old fat guys who have been fat all their life, they're like, fuck this. <laughs> and they, and they drop all the weight. And so Luckily, I was able to keep, I don't know, some muscle, I guess, and uh, go go down in a positive way. <laughs> so what does the future look like for you personally and professionally? What are you hoping to accomplish in the next few years? Sure. So with me, I am looking to become a consistent working actor. Um, also I'd like to get involved in some animation work. I have so many different voices, so many different character voices. I want to get into that kind of stuff and just start to create a reputation for myself and, um, just be able to get in the room and compete for solid roles, you know, uh, pretty much since 2018, um, this is, this is new to me. Uh, I, I've done voices and messing around with my friends, but I'm not, I wasn't trained in any, any way. So, you know, I went to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. I took their program. I've been training at Claybank Studio International. It's an acting, acting uh, program up here in Burbank, California. And I'm just learning the skills and preparing myself to be competitive in this, in this field. So, the more time I spend at it, the more I learn, the more I get on set, the more things I pick up. And, you know, you just, you're going against people who have been acting since they've been children. You know what I mean? So I'm behind the, I'm behind the curve, but in this industry, thank God, the cream rise to the top. So if I just continue to work and continue to get better, it's only a matter of time until I get an opportunity. So the final question I'll ask you based on your journey and experience for someone that's listening to this interview, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals and rise to the challenge? <clears throat> okay. Um, 
Oof. Okay. So the industry I work in, it, it, it parallels with anything else. Um, I am told no more times than anyone. Uh, when you go out for a role in anything, whether it be a commercial, a show, feature, whatever, there are thousands of people auditioning for one role. So you are going to get told no a lot. So instead of worrying about the end result, enjoy the journey. Every audition that I don't get, I don't look at it as a missed opportunity. I look at it as, okay, I prepared as best as I could. I went through that. I learned. I, I grew. So that is equity that goes into me that makes me better so each time i'm getting a little better and a little better and do not let the nose deter you you have to have an extremely strong belief system in yourself and you cannot be afraid of failure i actually seek failure i really if i'm not failing then you know, that's a problem. I think I regard failure as more integral to my success than actual success, really. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of some of the advice that I would say. Uh, another thing is I have gotten very far ahead in my career by uh, giving to other people. Sorry, that's my roommate. Um, I, I try to, I think one of my, one of my biggest talents is connecting people. So I try to give my time, give my resources and knowledge to other people and help them su to succeed. And then keep in mind, okay, what does this person do? Wh what about my other friends? What do they need? How can I help them grow? And so the more you give, the more you will receive. So, you know, I can't tell you how many free things I've done for people, how many free voiceovers I've done for a church or, or done for, you know, a person trying to start a language program in a foreign country. You know, you just, you just use your skills and talents to try and make the world a better place. And that's what I want to do with entertainment. I want to be able to take my platform and use it to help others. I am a, I, I am a strong believer in my faith. I'm a Christian and I want to use my God-given talents to help others. I think that's why I was put on this earth. So. I think those are great things. I did an episode way at the beginning called The Power of Rejection. And I always said, rejection is always a tool that can help you grow and get better every single time because it's always a way to reflect and just keep learning each day but you mentioned something that kind of goes back to the beginning of this interview where you don't have that ego like some professional athletes or other people have you're all about that personal value that you give someone and how you're willing to do those free works because you want to help because it makes an impact on what they're doing, but you never know who you can help and how it eventually someone could hear it and it could help you out in the future. Sure. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's, it's all about if people, 
A smart man once told me this. He said, as soon as you realize that you're not living on this earth for yourself, but you're living here for others, the little problems that you have day to day and the little things that really bother you, they won't mean as much. And it, it's extremely difficult to do. But when I find myself getting pissed off at a guy who cuts me off in traffic, it's like, you know, what if he had a baby in the in the car seat that was spilling coffee in his lap? You don't know what people are going through. You know what I mean? So try and try and leave the world in a better place than you left it or or than when you first found it is, is how I go about things. Well, Leith, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. It was exciting to learn all about you and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you. Yeah, man. We'll see. Maybe I'll be back on worst cooks doing a specialty episode, burning up the kitchen again. Who knows? Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms. And make sure you subscribe to her YouTube channel to the full-length episode and video format. What path will you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.